Yo, and welcome into week 13 of pre-gaming the SEC. Jacob Hester and Chris Doring back with you. The final week of the regular season, better known as Rivalry Week, as we get ready for some of the games that we look forward to all season long. Now, some of us have bigger rivals than others. Christopher Paul Doring has Florida State to get ready for this week. I never played Texas A&M because they weren't in the SEC when I was playing in the SEC. That tells you a couple of things. One, I'm old. The second thing it tells you is it hasn't really been a rivalry situation. Seven overtimes have you know maybe helped the things move along a little bit, but still, outside of the school that I played for, Chris Doring, I'm excited about all the games that we have here in Rivalry Week as we get ready to see some potential, maybe upsets. Well, Hess, you bet you, you may not be able to see because Butter's head's in the way, but I, I rocked the Gator gear tonight just <laughs> oh, because it's finally an out-of-conference game. I could cheer for my alma mater more openly, and uh, I think we can all agree that Florida State sucks, and we're all hoping <laughs> that they lose, right? I mean, Alabama <laughs> fans can agree with that. I think Georgia fans can agree with that. Uh, you agree with that just because you're my guy. I mean, I, everybody knows that uh, that it's although it's harder to hate FSU now because I think Mike Norvell's a likable guy, and I think that that uh, Jordan Travis, even before he got hurt, you know, you you, you kind of liked him, and and now he's hurt. And you you feel for them a little bit too, so it, it's a little more difficult to uh, to drum up the disdain that I once had for the Knowles. I can understand that. And also, I think just as former football players, we can also feel bad for Jordan Travis and going out and getting injured against, you know, North Alabama, a yeah. game that now you were down 13 to nothing. Now, North Alabama didn't score again in the contest, but you have this game against an FCS opponent and shout out to the Lions. That's where my brother in law played his college football. So I got love for the Lions, but we always knew what that game was going to be. It was going to be Florida State, you know, overwhelming them and winning, what was it, 50-something to 13. But for Jordan Travis to get hurt in that game, it, it does change the perspective. Like, you feel awful for Jordan Travis. I mean, he was a guy that they told basically to change positions at one point in his career to a receiver, and he fights through that, perseveres, like the whole deal – and then he gets hurt like that when his team's like on the cusp of potentially a college football playoff situation. But it does change the narrative of that game and something we'll certainly get into. As I said this on a, a radio show the other day, it makes no sense probably to most people, but I know it'll resonate with you. Because like you, you, I, the way you just set that whole thing up, I, I know you're feeling the same thing. It's like, if I'm going to get hurt, I don't want to get hurt against North Alabama. Like, I mean... <laughs> I'd almost rather get hurt in practice than against North Alabama. I want to get hurt against like Georgia or LSU. I want to get hurt yeah. by a big team in a big game. So, you know, I, it just, it doesn't feel quite right to get injured and have your, your season done by North Alabama. Certainly not when you have everything that they have in front of them. I mean, they have a situation where they're going into the swamp at night against a rival. Okay, so that's in front of you. Now you're a favorite in that game, and so you have the opportunity to go out there and put on another performance. And then you're going to an ACC championship game against Louisville, right? And then if you win that, you're in. You are in the tournament. You're in the Final Four of college football. And so now it changes completely. But you're right. Like, I had that in front of me. And again, no disrespect to the Lions of North Alabama, but that's the game I get hurt, not – on the road against Clemson in Death Valley, the other Death Valley, the one that 
fake sometimes one. we recognize on this show sometimes we don't but that's neither here nor there um it's not against duke in that four quarter battle that they had no it's against north alabama with the biggest games of the year coming up on your schedule yeah i really feel um badly for like i feel badly for florida fans too like i feel badly for florida state i feel bad for because i I genuinely believe that Florida is going to beat Florida State. Like, I believed it last week. I think I said it to you guys. And I, I think all of us as competitors want the opposing team to be at their best when we beat them. No yeah. excuses, right? We want to really test just how how good we are and what we're capable of. And, I, you know, I think there, there's clearly a lot that, that Florida has to correct. But offensively, they're playing really well. And I feel like that they, you know, could could probably match Jordan Travis. I think it'll be interesting as we get into talking more about it, you know, what these two offenses look like with these new quarterbacks at the helm. But like it just it takes so much of it away. This is the game on primetime ESPN, Herb Street Fowler, those yeah. guys in the booth. It's gonna be, you know, a, a, a great atmosphere. And then you you don't lose one quarterback, you lose both quarterbacks. I don't know if I've ever heard about that before a, a more marquee game than this. Yeah, and again, a game that we will dive into a little bit later on in the pre-gaming portion, but certainly news as we get ready for basically the ACC-SEC challenge. We already had kind of a version of this to start the year. Now we're going to have it again to finish the year, but let's go ahead and get into Hold My Beer. That's kind of where we typically start here on pre-gaming the SEC, and we always pick an SEC team. Obviously, this is pre-gaming the SEC, but... Hold my beer is going to go for me. Oh, you're going to give us $1.8 million to come play a game. (laughs) Hold my beer. We're going to take the check and then we're going to go take the game. Jerry kill and new Mexico state, the Aggies, not those Aggies of A&M new Mexico state. They go on the plains, Jordan Hare stadium, and they take care of business. There was nothing fluky about this. There was no, triple reverse pass with no time left to force overtime and then you go for two and you get the win. no new mexico state after what auburn just did on the road in fayetteville to arkansas just house them they come back in new mexico state bullied them 31 to 10 now this is a good new mexico state team but still that should never happen and honestly it's changed my perspective on what auburn can be next year. And I know I shouldn't do that off one game, but it has. I was thinking, oh, okay, bowl eligible in year number one after what he took over from Brian Harson talking about Hugh Freeze. They're going to be able to build on this. They'll be a maybe a nine-win team next year. It changed my mind. I'm like, why? Like, how does this this and again, this isn't this isn't Appalachian State that's done this so many times before. This isn't Troy. Now, Troy did it to LSU in 2017. Troy almost did it to me when I was in college in 2004. It's not Boise State that's done this to Jordan. It's New Mexico State. And yeah. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to them because they've had a hell of a year, one of their best years in like five decades, I think I saw. This can't happen. And not only did it happen, it happened in a way that it wasn't close. 
CD, it was it was never really in doubt for New Mexico State. I mean, throughout the totality of the game, they brought the fight to Auburn. So now, like, I've got to reassess what I think the Auburn Tigers can be in this next coming, you know, 2024 season. Yeah, first and foremost, Jerry Kill can coach. I mean, yeah, I think there's, there's no doubt about that. And after the ball game in his post-game interview, he said, we dominated the, the lines of scrimmage. And yeah. they did. They dominated lines of scrimmage to the tune of 146 yards rushing to 12 in the second half. They Oof. dominated four sacks to none in the second half. They they converted on third and fourth down seven of the nine times that they had in the second half. Like They held the ball for almost 20 minutes in the second half. It was every possible statistic of domination that you could look up. And uh, I think to think about an SEC team getting – it's one thing to get beaten flukily. Yeah. It's one thing to – I don't even know if that's a word. To get beaten <laughs> – Hey, it can be here on this yeah. podcast. And it's this our podcast. podcast. Flukily is a word. So it, yes. it, it, it certainly fluked up what they did to <laughs> Auburn for sure. But it was not a fluky win. But I will, I'll say this. Like, Auburn does have – a ways to go both in terms of how you handle success after winning three sec ball games in a row and completely coming back and not being ready for that one. They've got a ways to go in building their lines of scrimmage, which you can do a lot quicker in the transfer portal age these yeah. days. I just asked Miami. Uh, but it, it, I don't know if it changes my perspective on them for next year. It certainly changes my perspective on them for this Alabama game. Now I oh, saw yeah. Roman Harper on Monday after I left the sec network studios and, uh, Roman Harper said, man, that right there is the ultimate game of possum. They are completely doing that as a setup to try to, to <laughs> lull Alabama to sleep. And that's, you know, that's the mindset of Alabama folks thinking yeah. that there's always something up. But uh, I just I don't see how they can possibly compete with Alabama after the way that that uh, New Mexico State took them to the woodshed. No, I think you're exactly right. And it might be me overreacting, saying next year, but certainly it changed what I think the Iron Bowl could be because if they don't, it, let's flip the score. If they would have won 31 to 10 after what they did to Arkansas, winning those SEC games in a row, then we're talking about what the magic of Jordan Hare and, and what it can be. And it can be this place where Alabama comes in with everything on the line and the magic of that state. Well, all those narratives yeah. for me are out the window. So that was my hold my beer of the week. New Mexico State saying, hold my beer, give me the check, and then we'll see you later. What about you, CD? My hold my beer came slightly after the final notes of first play of the game. Jalen Wright goes 75 yards. Everybody's fired up there at Neyland Stadium. Yeah. And Georgia said here, that's 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 Carson Beck. Hold my Hold my beer to the rest of the, the yeah. folks on the sideline. Well, Stetson's old enough to buy beer for like a decade already, but That's yes, true. I get He's it. He's been drinking beer for a while, but uh, <laughs> Carson and that offense hold my beer. They go out there, score right away, and really Tennessee doesn't do anything the rest of the ball game. I mean, Georgia no. is the ultimate in terms of, and I said this on our show the other day, like the ultimate in not beating themselves. They're yep. the the least penalized team in the conference. They give up the fewest sacks. Uh, they're amongst the 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 fewest sacks uh, given up. Yep. Uh, they've turned the ball over the the amongst the least in the conference. They're not going to do anything to help you beat them. And Tennessee is at the point right now that they need that help in order to beat an elite team like Georgia. Uh, they they are so methodical with the way they go about executing. And I, I think maybe most impressively to me has they're so unselfish. You know, it's not. 
it, it's not one of these things where you know Brock Powers, we got to get him the ball. He's got to be the the prime focus of our offense. Some right. days he is, some days he isn't. Dylan Bell had an opportunity to have his number called, throwing a touchdown, catching a touchdown. Rosemary Jack State catches two touchdowns. You know, no Lad McConkey, no problem. We just have so many weapons that we can go to uh, that makes it it's such a uh, difficult defense to def- or difficult offense to defend, and really so much fun to be able to to watch the way that they're playing and going out there doing their job. It reminds me a lot of their defense the last couple of years because they've never been ones that are going to jump off the stat page to you, but they're incredibly good football players that play their positions really well, do their jobs, and uh, at the end of the day, get drafted because of, of, of how well they do what they're asked to do and nothing more. Yeah, I completely agree with you. This Georgia team, I mean – they're thriving in, in in the right time of the year. It was going to be a, it was a candidate for me for hold my beer as well. The way they came out and they just they left little doubt again. So like what we learned over the last couple of weeks is Georgia still the top dog. No pun intended. Ole Miss, you were on the rise, but you were not ready for a game like that. Tennessee doesn't matter where that game is played. You're not ready for a game like that. It almost it gives me like more respect for how Mizzou was in that game down six driving. And you have this freak play where you got three guys open and you're probably trying to do too much minus the probably you throw an interception to a defensive lineman. Then you get down nine. Like it gives me respect for what Missouri was able to do. Even keeping that game single digits because of the way Georgia's playing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, think about, um, you know, what what we've seen the last couple of weeks and I don't want to move on from, from Georgia talk too much, but like, Missouri, the way that Cody Schrader's run the football the last four weeks of the season, go back and look at the defenses that he's now Florida's not in the same category as Georgia, but the, he, he ran the ball for what? 130 something yards against Georgia's defense. He did the yeah. same, you know, 200 something against Tennessee. Like this guy is, is, is playing this offensive line is playing at a really high level to the point where you do have more respect for them. Uh, yeah. And the way they went about losing that ball game to Georgia because of of how high we hold them in in regard as it relates to the Bulldogs. Well, as we get ready to go to last call from week twelve of the SEC, kind of one final thought. That's really where I'm going to go back to with my last call. It's going to be Missouri, and I hate to do this because I know who I'm doing this podcast with, but to get that victory, thirty three to thirty one yeah. over Florida. We've talked about it throughout the totality of the season, but for Missouri, this is a game that you didn't play bad. I mean, you had over 500 yards, but you also gave up 500 yards to Florida. So you don't have your best stuff, right? You're on the mound and hey, that two seamer is just not doing what it normally does. And what do I got to do? Well, I got to find another pitch. I got to find another pitch to get out, right? To use a baseball term. And a lot of times when you're a team like Mizzou, you can't do it, okay? You you can't find the stuff that you need on that day, even if you feel like you're the better team, in, w- in which the case they are the better team than Florida. But when you start to win games like this, CD, when it looks like three different times you're going to find a way to lose it, when you start to win these games and you just find a way, and at the end of the day, right, you, you, you have more points in the other team and you could point to six different things that maybe you wish you had back and you could point to different points in the game, whatever, whatever. 
That's what takes you from whatever tier you're trying to get out of and go above. Is it tier three to tier two, tier two to tier one, whatever it is. When you win games like this, I think that's when you've really started to arrive and kind of accelerate going up and ascend to that next tier. And Mevis has a chance to kick a game-winning kick after you convert a fourth and long on that drive. And then once they converted that fourth and long, it was like it changed kind of their mindset. And then they were just going down the field. And you, I mean, Mevis is one of the better kickers certainly in the country, but like even just making the kick and winning that game, this game says a lot. And you're like, wait a minute, they didn't cover Florida, you know, 500 football team. What do you mean? I promise you. And you could ask Eli Drinkwitz if we asked him like in, in private coach, would you have lost that game? Maybe the last two years, he probably said, hell yeah. Yeah, we'd have found a way to, to lose that game, but we're a different program. And he's right. They are a different program. And now they're winning these games like this and they do find a way even though Florida had more first downs even though they gave up 500 yards to the Florida Gators even though you know they had success through the air and running the, it didn't matter they found a way at the end it was Schrader it was Burden it was Cook and that to me that's a win that continues to show that Mizzou is heading in the right direction and now I firmly got them in tier number two of the SEC with some of those teams, like we talk about, like an Ole Miss, like an LSU, they feel like they're getting into that category right now. Do you know where Harrison Mevis is in uh, field goal percentage this season in the SEC? Well, if it's a game winner, he's very high. Outside of that, he has had some struggles. He's 10th. <laughs> he's 22 of 28, 78.6%, yeah. 10th on the list in the conference. But is there anybody that you would want more than him in a clutch kick? No. Anybody that you want more than him on a long game-winning kick? Like, for whatever reason, the dude can zone in when he needs to. And believe me, I wasn't happy with the Gator Chomp running off the field as a Florida guy. It didn't make me all that happy, but I understand his excitement. And I don't really hold a lot of kickers in high regard because I think we all know what they do while we're out there hitting in you know seven on yeah. seven and they're hitting golf balls yeah exactly they're they're out messing around buying pizzas you know throwing balls off of the uh the, the crossbar on the uprights i think um he deserves to be uh celebrated for the type of season he has drink called him uh money mevis which he has he has been but i think going back he he's just a small part of that that elevation of of that that team because you mentioned it they wouldn't have won it last year. Six one possession games last year. They went two yep. and four in those six games. If you know how many they've had this year, four. You know how many they've won? All four of them. So yep. they find ways to win. And I think you've probably been part of these teams too. I've been. I remember my first couple of years at Florida. We had to learn how to win. We had to learn how to win on the road, and and it's a process, and it doesn't come without painful lessons being learned. Yeah. And on the flip side, I think Florida is experiencing some of those painful lessons. The way they lost the ball game to Arkansas, you know, you, you, you uh, the way you lose to to Missouri and it's not just giving up fourth and 17, it's Trevor Etienne on third and 12 running out of bounds oh. instead of getting down and running the yeah. clock or forcing Missouri to use a timeout. There's a lot of things that go into winning and losing football games in the SEC and uh, Missouri clearly has that that uh, edge in the in the uh the, the it factor and the the little intangibles and Florida right now is trying to learn to get there. And uh, it that's how thin the margin is in this conference, as you know. All right, CD, where are you going for your last call of week number 12 in the SEC? 
Well, man, I you know I was gonna go with that uh, that one as well. I, I I do have to give credit to to Drink because it is so much. Um, it's so much fun to see their team doing well and elevating yeah. to where they they've elevated and where they've come from. Uh, the uh, the confident slash smug nature of our, our guy Drink is uh, is also uh, fun to, uh, to hey, he stands watch. on business. He stands on business. <laughs> I love, I love some of the, uh, the sound from that, but, uh, I, I got to go back to, uh, your LSU tigers. I think last call, it wasn't, you know, this, uh, mighty sec opponent. It wasn't necessarily uh, a great, you know, out of conference opponent, but to see what the wide receivers for LSU did three different guys going over a hundred yards receiving in the same game. I haven't seen that before. I don't know about you. I've seen, you know, LSU's done Mm -hmm. it multiple times this year with Brian Thomas Jr. and Malik Neighbors doing it. But Kyron Lacey, for him to get in there and get his 100-yard receiving night on the same uh, night as those other I think they did it once in 2019 with Chase and Marshall and Jefferson. But the difference is all three of these guys on Saturday, they scored a touchdown. In that game, you had three 100-yard receivers, but all didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, it, pretty impressive, uh, and not to mention, you know, uh, what, what did uh, Jaden end up running for? Two touchdowns himself. I mean, they, they're yeah. they're distributing the ball all over, and you can say whatever you want about you know, the 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 motivation for Jaden and for Brian Kelly and for the LSU program, but uh, they they played um, their game as they have all year long, and that's attacking, that's vertically throwing the football down the field, that's. That's running the ball with a quarterback, and and um, to me, I think he just continues to to prove why he's the best player in the country, and why he should be the recipient of the Heisman Trophy when we get to December. I mean, he looks like he's just playing at a completely different level than everybody else on the field. Now, LSU yeah. does have three losses. I do understand that. But offensively, like even in the games that they've lost, it hasn't been certainly because of Jaden Daniels. The Ole Miss game played incredibly well. Alabama game played well until he got knocked out of that game. Even the Florida State game, I mean, he wasn't the reason they lost that contest. It just looks so slowed down for him, and he's making the right decisions. He's going through his progressions. He's pulling the ball when he has to. I mean, he's putting up historical numbers, just things that we've never really seen before. He did that last week against Florida. Now he joins Johnny Football for 3,000 through the air, 1,000 on the ground. I mean, it's been a lot of fun to watch. And I know that LSU, to their standard and their expectation for this year, it's been disappointing. They fully expected to be back in Atlanta like they were a year ago. Defense didn't have that (laughs) as an option with some of the games that they've had. I mean, even in this game early, it's like, oh, man, is this going to be a shootout with Georgia State? And they buckled in and found a way. But to watch Jaden Daniels, to watch Malik Neighbors, to watch Brian Thomas Jr., to watch this offensive line, and then you mentioned that Kyron Lacey was in this game as well with over 100 yards. It's a lot of fun. And as offensive football players, I could watch it every single week, man. It is You got a, a great matchup fun, the right? pregame a little bit later on. But as offensive football players, CD, to go out there – and I forget how many drives in a row now that have ended in the end zone, but it's just it's video game numbers. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun to watch, man. And we're we're getting to witness greatness. It's unfor- unfortunate that uh, they didn't have the complimentary defense because I think this is a, a team that deserved uh, an offense that deserved a lot more in terms of accomplishments than what they'll end up being able to uh, to say they did at the end of the day. 
All right, before we get to our pre-gaming portion of pre-gaming the SEC, I want to remind you about our friends over at Richard's Honda. If you're looking for a new vehicle, they've got something for everybody. If you're looking for an SUV, that crossover, they've got the Pilot, the HRV, the Passport, the CRV, so many different options to choose from. They've got sedans. They've got uh, electric hybrids as well, CRV hybrid. They've got the Accord hybrid. If you're looking for that minivan, the Odyssey, they've got the Ridgeline truck, literally something for everybody over at Richards Honda. And as always, home of the warm and fuzzy feeling. Find them online at richardshonda.com. All right, let's get into the pre-gaming portion of the podcast. And to do so, we welcome on to the show our guy, Big Turp, to break down all the action we've got in week number 13 of the SEC. Not everybody's playing an ACC team, but it has a little college basketball feel to it. It feels like an ACC-SEC challenge. Yes, it does. And if you want to go deeper on some of these ACC SEC matchups, I heard about a great show with Chris Doring and Roddy Jones that will be airing yeah. weekend long over there on Sirius XM, SEC, and ACC Radio. Um, but we will get into some of them. We said before this, we're not going to go deep at all on the Egg Bowl because it may have already happened when you're listening to this. It could be on right now. But I just <laughs> want to ask you real quick. The spread is 10, right? Mm-hmm. Last year, two-point game. The year before that was 10, but before that, seven, then one point. Two years before that, three points. So when you go back the last 10 years, you have a hard time finding games that were 10 or more. Does it matter where these programs are at? like, Or should I just pencil in Mississippi State plus 10 because it's the Egg Bowl? I mean, normally, yes, because this game has been played at times when both teams have five wins, six wins, and it doesn't really matter. They're still going out there. They hate each other. It's going to be a game that's well attended. It's going to be a game that has, you know, to the echo of the whistle, and it's going to have some after the echo of the whistle. That's just what this game is. I mean, think about it. We've had this game where someone fake urinating like a dog calls like a ripple effect of Matt Luke getting fired, Joe Moorhead getting fired. And I mean, think about it. Just think about where this game is and what it's done and the history of this game. And so you never want to say never. And you always think it's going to be a close contest, but Mississippi state's just bad. And you fire Zach Garnett. It, you had more life, but Southern miss is bad last week i want this to be another great egg bowl i truly do it's one of my favorite games because both teams just literally hate each other both fan bases and i appreciate this they show up for this one regardless record be damn and they'll, they'll still do that this year but i just think Ole miss is too much i think Ole miss and lane kiffin after losing this game a year ago you know he's going to be mad you know he's going to want revenge certainly on the road and so for a while cd I can see this being a game that is exactly what all these rivalry games are supposed to be. It's a little bit of a stalemate, but I just think Ole Miss is going to be too much, and there's not going to be a call-the-dog-off moment. If yeah. Ole Miss is going and they're scoring points, they're going to try to score again and score again and score again. They want this number to look lopsided after last year they lost this one at home. Yeah, see, here's the deal. It, 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 the, the Ole Miss offense is really good. I'm not sure about their defense. And so you're telling me you'll give me double-digit points, Big Turp, to be able to, in a rivalry game like this? I don't think that, that Ole Miss is, is anywhere near as, as uh, at the same level of where Mississippi State is. But for whatever reason, these games do have a tendency to be close, as Big Turp talked about there. Yeah. 
And I do think that that having Will Rogers back along with Woody Marks last week allowed them to get back into the flow of the ball game. Um, I don't know if you guys saw any of the snapshots, uh, snapshots of snapchats that Will Rogers had sent out, but you know, clearly he's very motivated as well. So um looking forward to uh to seeing how this one plays out. But I, I just I see the uh I see the game you know, being much closer than I think than anybody believes just because they're gonna be able to score some points. All right, yeah. So those ones have been close in recent memory. You know what have not been close in recent memory? That is Kentucky Louisville games. Yeah. Four in a row for Kentucky. If I asked you the average margin of victory, what would you guess? Ooh, I would say like 13, 14 points, maybe. Yeah, it's gonna be at least that. There've been some blowouts. Yeah. I'd say I'd say maybe even three touchdowns. It's 30 and a half. No way. What? The 30? Four, they won by 13 last year. Yeah. They won by 31 the year before that. They won by 32 the year before that. They won by 46 the year before oh, that. Wow. That 56 to 10 whooping. And now Louisville is the favorite, the 10 and yeah. 1 team. So they're obviously going to be a little pissed. They're obviously <laughs> better according to Vegas. Yeah. Can Kentucky make this five in a row and keep it going? How, how do you see this one going? I mean, Louisville's one of the great stories in college football. Jeff Brom comes home, and we've said this all season long over on off campus. If Louisville could handpick their coach, right, outside of maybe like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, they would go with Jeff Brom. Like he is the handpicked choice to be their coach. He's coming home. He's a former player there. His brother, Brian Brom, who's the OC, he's a former player there. So, like it just it, it made sense and it's been a great relationship for a long time when they were players now coaches now there's added pressure when you come home as well like you don't want to fail because if you fail and you're gone then home's never home again but this just feels like one that is going to work and it's going to work for a long time and Kentucky just yet again disappointing and cd and i we have been your biggest fans we have been on your bandwagon we have raised the big blue flag higher than anybody across the country and just yet again disappointment maybe the most surprising thing as far as an individual player for me across the country not just the sec is how ineffective devin leary's been I I thought he was going to push Jaden Daniels for SEC like first team all SEC quarterback. I thought it would be Jaden Daniels, Carson Beck, and Devin Leary. Like I thought those three guys would push each other for first team quarterback. CD he's not even been in the realm of of best quarterback in most games he's been in. No, and it's it's been the most surprising thing to me. I just with Liam Cohen and what he's done at NC State and Ray Davis running the football to help free some things up. The group of receivers that they have in there, you know, in, in Lexington, just a group that they've never really had before. I'm shocked that Devin Leary's been the player that he's been so far in Lexington. Yeah, I'm with you on that, and I'm shocked about where this this Kentucky team is as a whole. I mean, it, it uh, the Devin Leary story has been a a, a big uh, letdown, but I think the way that the the defense has played a lot of the year has been a big letdown. I think the way that the receivers have played has been a, a letdown. The offensive line at times has been much more like last year than an improved unit that we thought they were going to be. So, I that this is a a team that that is one win away. From or excuse me, one loss away from finishing six and six, yeah. like that that never seemed possible to me. To the point where when we do our preseason, you know, win total over unders, 
I was most confident about that big term. I don't, I, I want to say that I, I, I had, you know, what was it over seven and a half wins as my like five star. I don't know what the uh, yeah. rating system was, but like, this was one that I was completely confident on and to see them fall well short and potentially in the season with a loss here and go to 500 for the year is, uh, is really tough to understand, man. Yeah, it was our friends over at Saturday down south at Media Day. They were doing like boldest prediction from all of us. And my boldest one was Kentucky's going to finish second in the East. And I felt yeah. good about it. Yeah. Like when I said it, I'm like, yeah. you know, they're going to. And, you know, I thought Tennessee, Mizzou, South Carolina would be right there underneath them. But I thought they would finish second. And they just haven't been that team. And it's been surprising from an individual player perspective and also just uh like you mentioned just the team and the success that they haven't had yeah i i don't know where they go from here now um you know i don't know what their 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 future looks like at the quarterback position um I, there's, a, there's a lot of of uh, going back to the drawing board but how frustrated do you think you know looking at what coach stoops how where he's gotten this program to see them bump their head on the ceiling and then kind of fall back into yeah. kind of that mediocre range in the conference. How, how, how frustrating do you think he is? And how, how, how limiting do you feel like he thinks that, that being the head coach at Kentucky is for what can be accomplished there? It's a fair question. And I think he's highly frustrated because he brought in Ray Davis from Vanderbilt, who's certainly been, been a good player this year, but he, he brings in Devin Leary to go with the receivers. He knew he already had, I think he just assumed that it was going to be a completely different ball game this year. And that's that's one of the the things and the warning signs about the transfer portal. You just don't know. You don't know who you're going to get. Like you think, like even like if you know the player, like we all know Devin Leary. Uh, Devin Leary, I say it all the time, he broke like every single one of Phillip Rivers' records at NC State. We saw him do it. But you really just don't know what it's going to be in your uniform. You just don't. And even if it's been a good player, like how much do you think that reflects on what the, the, the level of defensive play is in the ACC, the fact that he put up those types of numbers there, how much does that reflect on the difference I mean, in caliber? Maybe, of maybe, maybe some, maybe some, but I think it's just how you handle the change and how you handle the different situation. I think every, every transfer is a little bit different and, you know, I, I think it also takes some time. Like, if you're a transfer that has one year left, like, what's that going to look like? Um, you know, Omar Spates coming over to LSU. He was an all Pac-12 first-team linebacker, and he hasn't been that for LSU, yeah. right? And if he came back for another year, maybe he would be. Maybe he would understand the differences in the SEC and the Pac-12. Like, because we're seeing some of these quarterbacks that have had multiple years like it's paid off. Like Jaden wasn't bad by any means last year, but Jaden Daniels is much better in year number two. So I think it's just, you know, you never know how quickly some of these transfers are going to line up and, and align with their new team. Yeah, and we Devin Leary's so just not done it. About the the success stories in the transfer portal, but I think there are a lot of the cautionary tales of of kind of what you're you're talking about. How quickly yeah. can you come in? How quickly can you acclimate? How quickly um, are you able to 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 garner the respect as a leader of the, the the team when you haven't been a part of their their previous seasons? 
Not saying that Kentucky won't be in this game. It will be an uphill battle, though. Louisville has something to certainly prove against this team. They have everything to play for. They've already clinched an ACC championship game, and now Florida State looks different without their quarterback, and so they understand what potentially could you know be ahead for them. They might have some advantages in that game that they wouldn't have before. And so Kentucky is certainly good enough to still stay in this game and even win this game, but it's going to be tough with everything that Louisville has going for it. All right, let's go A&M LSU. This is a noon kick. LSU 11.5 point favorite right now. Um, obviously, we saw the post-Jimbo Aggies, but that's against Abilene Christian. They were up 17-7 at half. They pull away 21-3 in the second half, so they end up winning that one 38-10. This is in Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. Do you see any recipe for this to get weird and the the post-Jimbo Aggies to come out inspired <laughs> and steal one, or is this one where you can kind of predict how it's going to go right now? Yeah, well, predict how it's going to go. It's going to be a high-scoring ball game because LSU is not going <laughs> to score. They're not going to stop anybody. They're going to be a And M's going to be able to to put some points up. Yeah, you're going to see Jaden Daniels moving the ball up and down the field with a stat line that still continues to have him atop the Heisman Trophy conversation. And LSU is going to win the ball game at the end of the the day. So I, I just I don't know that there's a lot of intrigue, but I think there's an exciting football game coming for the fans to watch. So it's good on good. It's LSU's offense versus Texas A and M's defense, and that's you know I'd say great on great. Depending on you know how you view A and M's defense, I think it's really good. It's one of the top in the in the conference, and it is right now. And they've kind of gone back and forth, but they haven't gotten too far away from the top three in the SEC. And it's going to be LSU's defense and A and M's offense. Which one of those is going to win out now? Because I, I think Jaden Daniels, even against this really good defense, is certainly going to have his moments. I hate that this game's at noon. One because gross day games in tiger stadium nobody likes that nope you want to see night games every single opportunity that you get but also like when you look at the heisman situation all right bo Nix is going to get a friday night primetime game on fox 8 30 eastern time against oregon state you're gonna get a lot of eyeballs on that one michael Penix jr he gets a i believe 4 p.m eastern time game on saturday against washington state you look at the rest of the slate around that time slot it's bad so he's going to get some eyeballs. Not as many as Bo Nix, but he's on Fox as well. This game's at noon. Now, people will watch LSU, Texas A&M, but you also know what's going on at noon on Saturday. The game between Ohio State and Michigan is basically a quarterfinal game as you try to get into the semifinals of the college football playoffs. There's going to be 20-plus million people watching that game, and so that's an unfortunate deal because you know Jaden Daniels doesn't have an opportunity to – playing a conference championship game where he can try to improve his Heisman, uh, you know, stats and candidacy there. So that part Heisman, of it. Give me your Heisman ballot right now. Um, I actually, <laughs> I don't think I can because I'm oh, a Heisman you, voter. That's right. I forgot you were. <laughs> I, I oh, Big time here. Big time me. You, well, as long as you haven't submitted it, are you allowed to talk about? Uh, no, you're not. Uh-uh. Allowed to, uh, uh-uh. okay. You're not. Hey, you're not allowed to All put right. out until now. You can after, after the fact. Yeah. You can tell who you voted for. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here, here's the deal. Uh, I'm not a Heisman <laughs> voter, but if I was, I would vote Jaden Daniels, Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. in that order. It's a good big, order. CD. Big Terp. What'd you say, CD? What would you your, your what order. would your ballot look like? I dude, I'd be in the same. I mean, you can make the argument for Bo, but not really if you just look at the numbers right next to each other. But I think they're in a clear class ahead of Penix, but I, I don't think 
I don't think there's a guy I'm really comfortable putting number three besides Penix. Like maybe, maybe honestly, Malik Neighbors with the numbers, but at that point, you're just going to go Jaden. He's taken away from anything. Yeah, you're splitting splitting numbers there. And by the way, I am a Blitnikoff voter, and I did vote for Malik Neighbors as my you know my number one receiver of the remaining uh, guys in the mix. You, you so. know, I had to stop somebody. CD I had on off campus, and they were like, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr. has a big day against uh, Michigan, and you know, he could put himself right back into maybe the leaderboard of the Heisman. I said, stop. I said, mm-hmm. stop right now. I said, Marvin Harrison Jr. is such a good football player. He's he's going to play for however long he wants to play in the NFL. He is already better than I ever was at football. I love his game. I love the – I think everything about him is great. But why are we talking about him in the Heisman Trophy conversation? Yeah. Right now when you look at it, he's got 62 catches, uh, 1,093 yards, 17.6 yards per catch – 13 touchdowns Malik neighbors has 80 catches 1424 yards 17.8 yards per catch 12 touchdowns per game leads the country in yards per game leads the country in most statistical categories when it comes to receiver even like Troy Franklin at Oregon Roma Dunze at Washington better numbers right now than Marvin Harrison Jr. like that conversation actually Brian Thomas Jr. His numbers are more comparable to Marvin Harrison Jr., right? They're about 70 yards apart. Actually, Brian Thomas Jr. averages a yard more per catch and has one more touchdown than Marvin Harrison Jr. Like, it just – and I know these awards, a lot of times, it's what you did the year before. It's preseason buildup, and then you win the the year that – the award the year after you probably should have won it. And even like this, take the LSU bias out. Like LSU's actually, you know, a lot of people, Grand Delpit won the Thorpe Award in 2019, where a lot of people thought he would win it in 18, didn't win it then. And a lot of people thought he wouldn't win it in 19. That's when he did win it. Yeah. So take that bias out of it. It's, just, it's mind-boggling to me, CD, that this continues to be like not Marvin Harrison Jr. Blitnikoff, because we've already just assumed that that's happened. It's a Marvin Harrison Jr. in the Heisman trophy uh conversation and again outstanding football player but if you're starting to break down some of his game log like even going back to last week because i believe malik neighbors his worst game was 65 yards against florida state this year you look at marvin harrison jr just last week he had three for 30 against minnesota he had four for 25 against Rutgers. he had three for 32 against notre dame he had two for 18 against Indiana to start the year. Again, great football player. Going to be a top 10 NFL draft choice and should be. But it's just like when people are like throwing out Heisman, I'm like, Heisman, let's talk about the Bolitnikov. Yeah. Now, how weird would that be to, uh, to think about a, a guy finishing in the top three of the, the Heisman Trophy race and not even win the Bolitnikov. I mean, that 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 uh, would be hard to kind of fathom. But I think anybody that's looked at the numbers, anybody that's put the, the seasons up towards one another, uh, see just how dominant that um, Malik Neighbors has been this year. And and uh, again, I, I think if you look at, if you're trying to project who gets drafted first, who maybe has the most upside for the National Football League level, maybe you would split hairs and go with Marvin Harrison. But in terms of comparing the right. seasons those two guys have had, yeah. it's not even close. Yeah, it's just uh, something that continues to be a fascinating discussion because, again, this is not a biased take. I just I watch Malik Neighbors, and he's been the best receiver in the country, and he's a reason why LSU has a chance against Texas A&M. He's a part of that offense that has put up historic numbers. And so 
we'll see how it plays out on Saturday again, noon Eastern time kick. And so hopefully Tiger Stadium fills up to yeah. to watch Jaden Daniels and Malik Neighbors and Brian Thomas Jr. for the last time. Yeah, it should be uh, should be fun, even though it's 11 a.m. local start, man. It should be fun to, <laughs> to uh, they, they're going to show up, right? They're going to show up to to send. I sure hope so. I'll be out. in the number. I'll be yeah. in the number. Yeah. Hey, as a fan, too, no credential. I'll be yep. in there as a fan uh, with uh, four Hester boys. Means you can pound beers during the game, too, right? Uh, well, I got four Hester boys and I'm in charge of them. So maybe, maybe sip. Yeah. Sip beers. Sip <laughs> pound, beers. not so much. <laughs> <laughs> All, All right, right, Big Turk, what we got next? We hit a little bit of Auburn before when uh, when you said New Mexico State came out with a hold my beer. Yeah. Um, and obviously, we talked about what that does to the hype around the Iron Bowl. But the good thing about the Iron Bowl is it's kind of like that Egg Bowl where it doesn't necessarily matter what has happened going into it, especially if it's there in Jordan-Hare. That's a 330 CBS. Bam is a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Unfortunately, CD, they have sailed past uh, that over – eight and a half and nine and a half that, that you got them out preseason. Um, they're going for 11. Now they're a 10 and one seven and oh in the sec. Is this one that gets weird or no, I don't, I don't have it getting weird. See, I mean, here <laughs> let, let's talk about what the recipe for a weird game would look like. All right. And we've seen it before a couple years ago when Mechie and, uh, and Bryce Young and those guys went there. Mechie, when was that, 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 he had that catch in the four overtime game. Was that two years ago, Big Turp? The twenty twenty, wasn't it? Or was it was it that what, that was long it? ago? That was two years ago. That okay. Was right. it? I, I think it was two years ago. But whatever. You're, you're it was. talking about the, the the drive, right? Yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, Auburn had him pretty much dead to rights. You talking about the drive oh, and regulation, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and then you go out of bounds. Game tire. Yeah, another another going yeah. out of bounds mistake. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, that it would have to be something because you go back and remember how bad Alabama's offensive line was in that game, how many sacks they gave up 2022. What, yeah, it was two years ago, two years ago, 2021. So yeah, 21 season. Hey, we'll yeah. get there eventually. Yeah, sacks, <laughs> turnovers, penalties, all of those things are things that we've seen Alabama do on the road. Like they, they've had a history of that, although that has not been the MO this season. They, they have not shot themselves in the foot as much, but that would be the only way that it would get weird. I don't see, I yeah. mean, go back to the Georgia game, Georgia. They were, Georgia was favored by, I think the exact same Mark, Mike, uh, Mark, big turf. Yeah. It, it was right around two touchdowns. Yeah. And, and it stayed within that because Georgia turned the ball over three times. I mean, it was uh, a yeah. turn Auburn turnover margin was in favor of them you know, plus, plus three. So, uh, I, I think that would be the only way that I could see it happening. And I, I just, I feel like this team has evolved way past that this season. I, yeah, I can't get you there. Uh, Jordan Hare is special. It is. I've played there. It's an incredible environment, but I mean, they just lost in the same building to New Mexico state. Now the energy is going to be different there. We realized that I just, Georgia game, you know, I understand that we could take a look at that and we can look at all the Q counters that Peyton Thorne ran and had success with. I, I, I don't see anything like that. I, I don't think Georgia was ready. I think it was a good game plan for Auburn in that Georgia game. It was a great look at like the zone read looked just like the Q counter and they had a lot of success that day. I can't get you there. I can't get you to a game in which in the fourth quarter, it's going to be a one score game. I just, I, even with like a sack fumble going the other way, 
I think this is going to be a game that Alabama controls. I think they try to control it a 24 to, to 7, 28 to 7 type game. I'm not saying they're going to run away and score 50 something points, but I think Alabama always controls the narrative of this game. What do you have more questions about their their offense or defense? Who Alabama? Auburn. Auburn. No, Auburn. Uh oof. I think still offense. Yeah. I, I still think that like I think I know what I'm going to get from them defensively. Offensively, I just you know, Peyton Thorne and look credit to him for coming in after the spring and and trying to take this job and he's had some moments but still this isn't what Hugh Freeze's offense is going to look like not even next year it's going to look completely different he's going to get some different guys in there I expect a different quarterback and I expect just a different team yeah I I do as well but credit to uh coach Freeze and that coaching staff for kind of piecemealing this thing together and getting you know to bowl eligibility where my alma mater is still fighting to try to get to that sixth win, uh, yeah. the elusive sixth win, that is. All right, Big Turp, where are we at? Um, the rankings that came out tonight officially have Florida State dropping from four to five. And I'm saying tonight, full transparency, we're recording. <laughs> I don't know when you're listening. It's okay yeah. that we record. We, we yeah. can record whatever we want. It's proactive, man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Florida State officially dropped to number five, but of course they're still in it. There's a lot to still happen. Yeah, but Florida can put that nail in their coffin, which in a five and six season for Florida, I'm sure nothing would make Gators fans happier than to be able to be that team that does it to Florida State. It's a six and a half point spread. And obviously that number would be way bigger if everybody was healthy. It was but, ten. And, it was ten and a half, I believe, half. big term to open up. Yeah. So what, what does that recipe look like for a Florida win? Uh, I think the, the, the Florida win it looks much different now with Max Brown at the quarterback position than it did last week with Graham Mertz at the quarterback spot. So I was actually pleased, Hess. I, I got to be honest with you, man. Uh, Austin Barber, the left tackle, out before the game. Kings League walk-in, out before the game. The center, uh, Damian George goes down at right tackle in the game. You lose Graham Mertz. Max Brown comes in and, and really looked like he was well-prepared to take the, the, the team and kind of run with it, literally. They end up rushing for 261 yeah. yards in that game. So uh, I thought that they did a good job of kind of adjusting. I'm anxious to see what the, the game plan looks like now when you're you're building around Max Brown for the entire week. I think you'll probably see a lot of the zone read stuff. I think you'll see a lot of the called QB run game. I think you, you, you mix in every aspect. Maybe even throw a little speed option in there. Uh, but I, I think – if you do throw the football, which you're going to have to because Florida State's yeah. defense is going to allocate some some guys to the line of scrimmage, you're, you're going to get some one-on-one -on -one shots. Throw the ball down the field. That way you're not throwing the ball over the middle. You're not you know, potentially um, asking him to read a bunch of stuff out. Let's boot. Let's naked. Let's throw the ball downfield. Worst thing that happens, you get, a, you get an incomplete pass. Best thing that happens, you get a touchdown or a pass interference call. Give us kind of like the book on on Max Brown and what you think like his best attributes going to be in this game. What are some of maybe the limitations? I know you kind of broke it down a little bit there, but just like realistically, like what do you think they can go in and say, okay, I know we can do this and I'm not sure we can do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, the, the, the surprise factor is certainly a little bit of an advantage uh, I'll be honest. I've seen Max Brown in scrimmages. I've seen him in, in in what limited action as a backup. 
Yeah. I don't know a ton about. I know he's an athletic kid. I know he's uh, much more of a dual threat quarterback. I know he uh, comes from Tulsa, Oklahoma. I know that he's a uh, a guy that, that is able to, um, you know, obviously make some guys miss in space. So I I I believe that it it could give Florida State a lot of uh, issue with what they're they're trying to to game plan in terms of defending a guy that they haven't seen an awful lot of. You could come up with a game plan, certainly, with Johnson and Etienne, the way that they're running the football. I mean, Max Brown had, you know, six yards of carry in that game against Mizzou. I think it's the best thing that you have is your running back room for the Florida Gators. Now, Ricky Pearsall is a stud receiver, and you can certainly use him to get the ball out and and put it in the air, not fall into too many tendencies. But when I go back and I think about what, you know, Billy and, and Rob, uh, the, you know, Billy Napier, Rob Sell, the head coach and offense coordinator, what they did at Louisiana Lafayette. I mean, they had a game plan. They had two really good running backs. They had a quarterback that can run and they had a lot of success with something like that. So it's not like they can't go find that success. It's not like they can't put that game plan together. And so if you just have the game that you had against Mizzou, I think that's good enough to win. Like, I truly do. If you had the performances that you had against the Missouri Tigers, Florida State without Jordan Travis in the swamp, I think that is a type of performance that is good enough to win this game, even against the number five Florida State team. Do, do How much of that has to do with the factor of Jordan Travis not being in the lineup versus the um, – the, the lack of confidence that you have that Florida State's the same team that you saw early in the year. I mean, it, that that defense against LSU looked legit, like old-school 90s FSU defenses that I used to play against with guys flying around and, and yeah. hitting and, and, uh, and pursuing the football. But I just uh, – I, I think as the season's gone on, it's lost a little bit of its luster. Yeah, maybe not – to that level, but I still think they're really good. I, th I think for me, why I say that Florida, if they play that game, has every opportunity, it's because of, you know, no Jordan Travis. Uh, I think that when you play Florida, you know, Rodemaker somebody that he's played, but not a ton. Yeah. And when you play Florida, they're going to bring pressure. They're going to bring corner cat. They're going to bring the nickel. Like a veteran quarterback, I think that plays into, the, into your hands because once you see it twice, three times, you're like, okay, I got it. Let's pick it up. Let's do this. You go there. You go there. And then when you pick it up, you're going to gash them. But for a new quarterback, that can keep your head spinning. So there's that reason. And then I think just being at home, being in the swamp, I, I think knowing what that environment is going to be like, that's going to play into it for a new quarterback. Again, you can you can crowd noise this thing to death in practice. When you're making that start on the road in Florida, it's going to be hell. For Jordan Travis, it was going to be tough. It wasn't going to be hell because he knows how to handle that. He's yeah. been in tough environments and he's, you know, he's given the hand signals, he's given the checks. But for Rodemaker, that's that's new. That's a new territory for him in an environment like this. So for those reasons, and because of how Florida played offensively, I think they have an opportunity if they do just what they did a week ago to win this game. Yeah, the offense has uh has been a real uh Real bright spot, I think, and particularly yeah. all the youth that returns. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Graham Mertz next year. But uh, clearly the offense has been something that uh, I think has been the bright spot of this year's team. All right, Big Turp, how many more games we got in the SEC? I just want to hit one more, unless you have some thoughts here on Tennessee Vanderbilt. Um, I think that both schools are in the state of Tennessee. That is good stuff. 
Yes. Uh, that's a 27 point spread in Knoxville. That's a 3:30. That's that's two teams that are ready to get the season over. I, I think Tennessee to what their expectation was to where it's at right now. I think they're ready to go ahead and get into the offseason and uh, get back on what we thought they would build off of from a year ago. How, how sad would you be if I told you when we were doing preseason win totals that on November 24th or whatever they're going to meet, they would be combined 3-11 and 11 in the SEC? Because I know that a lot of people countrywide probably didn't have the highest expectations for Vanderbilt, but around here we were yeah. relatively optimistic. Yeah, them building on last year's success, but now they're staring zero and eight in the face, um, and it's a big yeah. climb to get on the board. Um, and then the other one with the big spread is twenty four point spread in favor of Georgia, and that game is in Old Bobby Dodd Stadium. Um, <laughs> dogs are number one again in the rankings that came out this week. Uh, it, this is not Roddy. No offense. This is not one of those rivalries that has historically gotten weak. <laughs> the last time this thing got really weird was 2008 when Roddy went for like 200 something plus, and Jonathan Dwyer and Josh Nesbitt beat Matthew Stafford. Yeah, that was that was 2008. Georgia Tech fan Hugh was having a day. Um, <laughs> but is, is, is this dogs take care of business? Are there any extra wrinkles you're interested in? No, Georgia's playing pissed off. Me, nasty, tough. They've got a point to prove. Uh, they they heard South Carolina game. They heard Auburn game. They heard some of the the clunkiness of the Vanderbilt game. Even now, nah, this is this is Kirby Smart has the ear of the team. They're going to play their best ball. I I just don't see any way that Georgia struggles in this game. I don't. I mean, beating Georgia is going to be a tall task for anybody. Yeah. I, I, again, I go back to uh, what we said earlier in the in the podcast is that. Georgia doesn't beat themselves, and I don't think that uh, with the help of, of of Georgia making errors to to keep Georgia Tech in the ball game, I just don't think that uh, this is a a uh, a game at all because of the the focus that I've seen from Georgia here the last couple of, of weeks. Man, it seems like, and maybe maybe they do. Maybe after that four game stretch, maybe they let down, and maybe they start slow. I just don't see it, man. I I I took my shot against the Bulldogs earlier in the season when I picked Florida to win. I was wrong, and I'm not. I'm riding the Bulldogs till they they prove me wrong. Otherwise, well, Big Turp, I know we've got one more game to get to, and it's a game that actually has some pretty high, like you know, off season implications. I think for both teams. Yeah, so that's what I was gonna say. Is this time last year, South Carolina beats Tennessee, Clemson going into the off season, and that was the talk of the off season about yeah they're gonna build on this. That did not necessarily happen. They've they've had some pretty bad moments at times. Can this be one of the good ones, like you said, that goes into the offseason leaving a good taste? I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, the spread, seven for Clemson on the road in Columbia. Clemson's played much better as of late, ever since Tyler from Spartanburg called into the, the Dabo Sweeney show. It feels like they've played with a different edge, and so – South Carolina beating Kentucky last week can certainly give them some juice. I mean, three games in a row. Now two of those are against Jacksonville State, who's a good team at that level in the Conference USA, but that was a little bit of a struggle. They beat Vanderbilt 47-6. to six. I mean, I think last week does go a long way for me. Um, I, it's going to be competitive. I don't think it's going to be a blowout either way. I think it's going to be a highly competitive game. I mean, can South Carolina win this game in Williams-Brice? Yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to bet on them to do that, but what it would mean for them 
one to be bowl eligible, right? They're five and six. They need this victory. And then to beat Clemson back-to-back years and to create some positive momentum because if you don't cd you're five and seven you're not going bowling your season is over and then all the equity you built up a year ago is completely gone yeah i think the um the thing that i look at as it relates to shane beamer's last few years there in 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 uh, columbia he finds a way to get his team refocused after adversity better than anybody that i've seen and uh watching them start the season with just two um wins and and needing to win the last four i I think it felt pretty remote but i think the confidence level's grown and even last week against kentucky they didn't play their best uh but they played their best when they needed to they put drives together they got stops and so i i I think for whatever reason this team is on a very focused mission and you're talking about being able to re reset your goals um once the, the the start to the season wasn't what you expected but now getting to a bowl game feels like a big accomplishment yeah. for South Carolina, which is uh, interesting to say. I agree with you, and it's another great game in the ACC, SEC, college basketball, but on a gridiron college football challenge. And the SEC, they've got to get back on it because the ACC in the early portion of the season, they had the SEC's number. So the SEC with a chance in a couple spots, certainly Florida, Florida State, to really play spoiler here in the last week of the regular season. Um, but let's not talk about best bets. I don't think either one of us had a winning record. I, so we'll I did. Just, I went two and did? one. You went two and one? Okay, then we need, to, we need to champion that. Two and one. I was one and two. So three and three as a podcast. It's okay. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good this week. Last time that I said I felt good, I think I had a 3-0 yeah. week. I'm feeling really good about this week. We'll get our best bets out maybe a little bit earlier so we can maybe include the Egg Bowl if that's one of our plays. And so be on the lookout for that. Remember, you can follow us on social media, the handle on Instagram and Twitter at pregaming the SEC. You can listen to us on YouTube as well and watch us on YouTube, pregaming the SEC, like, subscribe, the whole deal, Spotify, anywhere you find your podcast, pregaming the SEC, and also on Sirius XM, SEC Radio, Channel 374, Big Turp Friday night this week, not Thursday, correct? Friday night, and then anytime after that on the SXM app. There you go. So that's going to do it for week 13 of pre-gaming the SEC. We'll be back for conference championship week next week for week 14 of pre-gaming the SEC. Enjoy the rest of your evening or morning, depending on when you're listening to this. And also happy Thanksgiving. We'll see you next week.